Hello, adoptees, friends, and family of adoptees. What is up? You are listening to The Rambler with Mike McDonald. I am your host, Mike McDonald. Obviously, as evidenced by the title, you understand what's happening here. This is a show. This is a podcast that I do live from my house mostly, but sometimes also in person if the person happens to be in my area or I'm traveling and they are are willing to talk to me about their lives and open up to, you know, me and you, the listener, their deepest, darkest secrets. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, This is a show, you know, about adoption and and adoptees and their lives and their their journey, I guess is the word that we're using. You know, I, I feel like that word is... It's overused, but I, I don't know what else to fill it in with. You know, it's loaded. Uh, but yeah, there, there, maybe if you have a suggestion for another word I could use for journey, uh, experience, uh, a livelihood, I don't know. Uh, suggest it to me on Twitter or Facebook. We'll do, we'll do that. We'll, we'll take crowd uh, suggestions and recommendations. Let's crowdsource this. How do we replace the word journey with something else? Because I don't know. I don't know. I'm not that creative. I mean, I'm a little bit creative. I like to pride myself in a little bit of creativity, right? But but not, you know, I don't know all. I, I am not all-knowing. Anyways, listen, I, uh, let's talk about my guest today. My guest today is Maylene Carroll. This is a really great episode for you guys, okay? This is amazing because usually, you know, every, every adoptee's story is different, okay? But most of the adoptees that we've had on this show so far, uh, have all been, uh, you know, legal adoptions. I'm quoting with air quotes in my hands, which I hate doing, but I'm doing it. Uh, but this is the first one that I've had on so far that is, uh, an adoption where the adoption never like went through. It never went through and not because of, uh, ignorance on her parents' part, uh, that I'm aware of from her story. You will hear more about that. But because they, they, it seemed like they just didn't want to go through the trouble, which is crazy. It's crazy and it's troubling to listen to. But she has a very good attitude uh, overall, maybe not about that, um, which is understandable. I would also not have a good attitude about that. <laughs> but she views it in uh, more of a comedic light. Uh, her latest book is out. It's coming out. You can find it. Look for Maylene Carroll. Also, Numa Consulting, N-O-O-M-A Consulting. Um, also, now it's being called, I believe, Post-Adoption Services for Adoptive Parents with Kids of Color uh, on Facebook. And you, you can still find that at facebook.com slash Numa Consulting, N-O-O-M-A. And she's also on Twitter at Numa Consulting as well. You can find her there. Uh, but we're going to listen to her story right now. How have you guys been this past month? I hope you've been good. I hope you've been good. Spring has sprung. It's nice out. Uh, I, I hate to say it, but I hate spring. I hate spring. I'm going to say it loud and proud. I hate spring. Sorry, all you spring lovers. I love it when it's winter. Uh, I love it when it's winter because things are beautiful when they're covered in snow and the weather is cold and frightful for most people. But for me, it's lovely. And I like cuddling next to a fireplace with a dog and a blanket and some bourbon and just hanging out and watching Netflix. That's kind of my dream. I like to go snowboarding. I like winter sports. uh, And I hate the spring. You know why? Because I have horrible allergies. It's allergy season, everybody. And it's the worst time of year for me. And I loathe it. So for all you people who love spring... 
good. I'm happy that, you know, you have your season. Everybody should have their season. But I hate it. I'm sorry. I hate spring. Summer's okay. Summer's not bad. Uh, I like going to the beach and hanging out uh, and getting, getting a little tan, I guess. I don't know. Sometimes I get bored hanging out at the beach too long. But that's neither here nor there. The important part is winter, my favorite season, is over. And we're entering the worst season of all time. I have to take massive amounts of uh, Flonase. I'm on the Flonase lately. And I used to do uh, Allegra and antihistamines. And there was like not much. That, that still doesn't do much for me. So the Flonase seems to be working okay so far. Are there any other allergy sufferers out there? It's the worst. It's the worst. They will agree with me. Most people love flowers. I hate flowers. I hate them. And I hate all the... I, you know, when I lived in North Carolina... Like the, the pine needles. I don't know what it is about pine trees. But their pollen is like so thick and yellow. And it's just everywhere. It just coats everything. I have a black car and all of a sudden it's a yellow car. And when it rains, there's these like streams. These yellow streams everywhere. Like rivers and, and puddles and lakes of yellow crap. I hate it. I hate spring. Sorry to begin on a negative note. But it's terrible. It's terrible. When I lived in Korea, it was even worse because it was like spring would come and it'd be bad with all the pollen and I couldn't breathe. And then they have this thing called uh, yellow sand and it comes through from China. But really, it's just pollution. It's just a cloud of pollution that comes over seasonally and like covers the entire peninsula of Korea for, for like a month. It's terrible. I hate this time of year. I'm all about winter, baby. Winter. There is crisp. It's clean. It's nice. Cuddle up, be warm, hang out, enjoy the snow. Kids know, snow days are the best days. And I haven't graduated from that in life. I still think snow days are the best days. Especially, you know, I, I, you know, I don't like shoveling my driveway. Nobody likes shoveling their driveway. But there's something awesome about snow. My dogs love it. And therefore, it's a good thing. In any case, we're going to get to... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to today's episode with Maylene Carroll. So enjoy my conversation with Maylene, which is starting right now. I enjoyed Maylene. I liked having her on the show. She has a great spirit, and uh, I think you're going to like it too. So let's get started. Let's get started. Enjoy. Excellent. So you can hear me okay and everything? Yes. Good, good. So I want to thank you, first of all, for getting in touch with me, uh, sending the email. What prompted you to send the email over? Um, I think one of your podcasts was on Facebook, on one of the groups that I follow on Facebook for adoptees. Oh, yeah? And so I, I listened to one of your podcasts and I was like, well, this is really interesting because I, I actually had listened to like all of them, I think. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I managed to listen to all of them. I think you were um, one of the only people. Right. Me and like five others. Um, I binged. I just, whenever I was cooking, I just put my phone in my little apron thing and I just went off and listened to all of your stuff. So I thought nice. that was pretty cool. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if he'd take me on as a guest. So I I ended up writing you and you wrote me back and here we are. Well, here you are. Well, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thanks Thank for you. writing in and thanks for being willing to come on and share your story. So you. you are obviously not a Korean adoptee. No, although sometimes I like to associate myself with that. <laughs> uh, because when I, when I work, what I do for work, 
the, the, the number of Korean adoptees outnumbers the number of Haitian adoptees. So when I'm around other mm. Korean adoptees, I just introduced myself as a Korean and black adoptee and everyone was like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, what? I sound white, just like you guys. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> were you raised in a white household is oh, that God, is that where yeah. it comes out yeah boy so white <laughs> pasty pasty dude i didn't know i was white i didn't know i was like actually black until i was like 10 how sad is that no like, pretty bad yeah come on yep, yep yep it was more of a we don't see color we love everybody the same type oh. of thing and i'm like yeah you don't see color but everybody else do mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. So I was, I got made fun of. I was actually called the N word in Spanish. Um, I don't know what that is, but I don't know no, if that's that, something we want just, to talk about. It's Negro, though. It's it's Negro. Oh, okay. So it's not even a bad word, but in the country I grew up in, it is a bad mm. but it's not a bad mm -hmm. word here. Um, so that's why I feel comfortable talking about it. So when I heard that, that's usually associated with Haitians but not the lighter Haitians, the darker Haitians. And then there's a negative connotation to that. Mm -hmm. And I came home crying, you know, to my adopted mother, sat on her lap, you know, boo-hoo-hoo. And I'm like, they called me black. And she just, you know, she waited for a second. And then she goes, well, I hate to break it to you, but uh, you are. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then you cried even more. And then I cried some more. And, you know, I wanted to be uh, blonde hair, blue eyed. And that just didn't work out too well. Um, yeah, it's tough missed to. Missed a couple steps there. Tough to do that, I think. <laughs> but it was comical. You know, that's the kind of stuff I write about. It's just like, how, how do you not tell your kids? You know, how yeah, do you not yeah. communicate that? When it's so obvious. Well, yeah, I guess you must have thought like, oh, this is pretty obvious. But then, you know, the whole... We don't see color. I mean, I think that's something that <clears throat> I hate to I hate to stereotype and group people together, but a lot of white people right. think that's a positive thing to say, especially right. to a person of color. It's like, well, I don't I don't see color. When in right. fact that's <clears throat> almost more insensitive. Yeah. It's like if you don't see color, then you don't see who I am or my experiences that I could have had and yes. the potential. Yeah, I think it's the safe word for it's like the safe phrase for um uh, we're not racist, which right. is basically, right. you know, it's the coded word for we're not racist when in reality, it's like that's doing more damage than mm -hmm. good because you're pretending that my past and my current present and possibly my future, I don't know when I'm going to die, but you're, you're basically saying that it doesn't exist. And right. when you don't see color, you see everybody as yourself, which means mm -hmm. white. And that's right. not, that's not correct. Well, and I hate to get very political, especially so early on into our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's me, though. That's but me right there. I just go right in. To me, it's the whole uh, problem with the statement, like, all lives matter. It's like, well, this is not the same. What you're saying may sound good to you, especially as, mm -hmm. like, a white person. But to say that all lives matter or that I don't see color negates people's experiences or the race problems that do exist in this country. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, it's just like saying, you know, if a family member or friend has cancer, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like saying, oh, all cancers suck. And it's like, no, we're not talking about everybody else's right now. We're mm -hmm. talking about this particular person who's going through a hard time. Yeah. And we need to be sensitive about it. And y y you're right. It's 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 very dismissive, actually. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, that's, yeah that's a great word to use. It's very yeah. dismissive. Yeah, and I think it it doesn't help anyone but the person saying it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, when I was living in Korea, um, I, I knew a guy who actually had a problem with Korean, like native Koreans who were, who were living there as well. And I was like, well, I'm Korean. 
It's like, you know that, right? And he's like, but you're not like really Korean. You're one of mm. us. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, well, hold on. Let's, let's take a minute here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so right. That's, that's, yep. It's like, yep. yes, I am American like you, but I am also genetically <laughs> right more right. akin to this country than the majority right. of America. But I think it's like, it really banks on um, the culture you acquire once you're, once you're adopted or once you're born. Because look at the, look at Koreans who have come over and brought their kids mm-hmm. and their kids have been raised here. Mm-hmm. They don't, even though they may speak a bit of Korean at home, they have become American. Yeah. So even to go back to Korea would be difficult for them, even though they have Korean parents. Exactly. You know? So I think it's like they look at culture because they do the same thing to me. You know, they'll be like, oh, those damn Haitians. But you, my dear, you are not. <laughs> well, it's refencing. <laughs> like, well, exactly. everybody except you or everybody except right. this family. Right. 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 And I'm like, I'm still very much Haitian. You know, I'm yeah, I don't have like the accent or, mm-hmm. you know, I may not acquire some of the cultural components because I was denied those, you know, growing up. But I'm still very much Haitian, and I'm actually proud to be Haitian. But they always will do the whole, oh, I'm not talking about you, you know? Right. I'm talking about everybody else. I'm like, well, that that everybody else, those are my people, Mm -hmm. you know? So you're actually um, dissing my own people just because I don't fit in to that culture. You're actually dissing my culture to elevate yourself. Right. Exactly. So you said at one point earlier that you didn't grow up in this country. Right, in America, yeah. Where did you guys grow up? Um, I actually grew up in the Dominican Republic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So is that where your family adopted you to, is DR? I was actually, I like that you know the the, <laughs> the short version, you're cool now, you're my boo. Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was um, born in Haiti and adopted from Haiti. Actually, an illegal adoption, more of a trafficking case. Okay. Um, and then we moved over to the Dominican Republic, and that's kind of where. So you're adopted uh, I grew within up. Haiti, and then you guys moved to DR. Yes. So, yes. but your parents are white. What were they doing in in Haiti? Oh God knows what. Um, <laughs> well, that was gonna be my next question. Was it a missionary thing? <laughs> Is yes. That what they were doing God. Literally, yes. God knows. <laughs> literally, God knows what. And it, it was funny because you know. I'm actually no contact right now, so I don't, okay. I honestly don't care what, you know, but um, it, 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 they became missionaries and then they became like child collectors. So it was kind of a disturbing mm. type of, you know, the, the adoption wasn't because they wanted me. It, well, because it was trafficking, I guess they did. I don't know. But it was more of a look how good we look to other people. Mm-hmm. So we're going to continue. Was it and one of those things where like we're doing really God's bad. work by by helping all these or something poor Haitian yeah. children? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of us. Yeah, <laughs> well, so, they could only take a couple um, <laughs> legally. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that was the mentality. But you know, it's funny because I always, um, I feel like it starts off as like a pure heart or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not doing it, it out of it, malice, right? Or... Well, I don't know. When you traffic someone. <laughs> and well, you know were they aware they, they were involved in like a trafficking 100%, thing? 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because 
um, what happened was I was in the orphanage and I didn't have papers um, because my birth family was super poor. Um, and back then, 80s, 75 to 80s-ish, uh, not everything was recorded. So when you're born, you don't actually get like a birth certificate and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I was just, um, because I didn't have papers when mm -hmm. I was a baby, my um, adoptive family knew that. And so what they were supposed to do, which, you know, I think any adoption is supposed to do is ask the birth family if it's something the birth family wants to be a part of, you know, if they can raise their child or whatever. Um, but my adoptive parents purposely kind of went around that, that situation. They used the fact that they knew that there was so little education in the country and my birth family couldn't read or write. So they used that to their advantage. And then they actually paid someone to purchase a birth certificate of a deceased person. So I'm dead, apparently. Oh. Um, and I'm giving life to this person. So, and I got a, recently, sorry, sidetracking, I got an, uh, a Facebook message from someone who had read one of my blogs about being a dead person. And they were like, oh my gosh, I know this person who their Haitian kid is not dead, but they thought they were dead. Maybe you have her birth certificate. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I, I even want to go into that and, oh, wow. and you know, start that. Because I've been <clears throat> yeah. this person for over 30 years. Right. You know, so legally, it's an illegal, but it's illegal. So the birth certificate's fine. It's just not me. That, that is so crazy. Um, so I, but they, you know, I, I always say it's amazing how much sin Christians can be a part of to get what mm -hmm. they want if they think it's God's will. Does that yeah. make sense? Sure. Well, so I mean, it's, it's, uh, there, there, there's a saying about that, right? It's the road to hell is paved in good intentions. Yes. So yeah, I mean, but look at the, the halts, though. They were well, very similar. They started with good right. intentions, right? And then boom. Except they set up like a whole organization and business that grew internationally. So that and that's kind of the crazy part is that like they so totally in Korea and China and all these different countries where Holt operated and still operates, um, you know, they have agreements and stuff with the State Department and all these different internationals, the Hague Convention. You know, it, it's it's giant. But you know, is it? It's more organized. I'm not sure if the record keeping is any better. I think it's it's gotten better from you know falsified it records had to, and stuff with like so that. So many people complaining though. Right, but you know, you're a unique guest on this show because you can give light to a lot of these things that we haven't discussed on the show so far, which is the the massive amount of uh, illegal and unethical and immoral adoptions that are happening in places like Colombia and Guatemala and Haiti uh, that are actually happening yeah. all over the place. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and they are international <clears throat> and it was crazy. Haiti specifically. I remember, uh, after the hurricane hit the Island down there, one of the first things people did was like, Oh, we have to, we have to adopt all these babies. And I'm like, well, hold on. Well, like for, they're still going through an emergency right now. Why exactly. do we find out if their family is still alive first? Yeah. Before yeah. we just yeah. take and them out that's... of the country and bring them to the United States. That's all like, to me, maybe we You're should just right take on. them in. But, yeah. you know, people are so yeah. eager to, quote, help or rescue these kids that it's like they don't think about if they're, they're yeah. still family alive down there that could actually take care of them. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the whole manifest destiny, right? That's the whole adoption destiny or um, 
uh, adoption gospel, like they like mm-hmm. to call it. Um, and it's the whole idea that we can do a better job. And the truth of the matter is we've been surviving for years, you know. I used to tell my adopted mother, um, they became like really big missionaries with like building villages and stuff. And they, they created a dependency on the people instead of mm. empowering the people. Right. Um, and I used to tell my adopted mother, I used to say, y- you do know that black people existed way before white people, right? <laughs> and she would kind of look at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, we've been living for years the way we've been living. And, and and surviving. So it's I was I'm trying I was trying to debunk the idea that we needed someone white to come in and fix things, mm-hmm. you know? Um and she ended up they ended up deserting the whole ministry and basically leaving the really? because people started catching on that the money they were giving was not actually going to the people to empower them, but going into pockets. And so um oh, wow. I have a wonderful life. Um <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wonderful um, adoptive parents, but I would just say like my birth parents looked for me until death. Um, and my birth mother, uh, we went back to Haiti when I was probably around eight or nine years old. Mm -hmm. And I remember being trying to return to the Dominican Republic and the authorities saying, no, no, you can't take this child. This is kidnapping. So I believe that that was my, my, biological families last time trying to keep me with them because they tried to keep me but my adoptive parents had already gone through the legal components um and so they knew legally that they couldn't have me it was a fight it was literally a battle when i didn't belong to my adoptive parents i belonged to my birth family wow Um, and i'm i happen to be one of the cases where um and i think there are a lot of these cases where it wasn't a oh i don't want my child or oh i can't really take care of my child it was a I put my child in this orphanage because she was sick for a, you know, mm-hmm. for a few years. I work there, and then one day they go to see me, and I'm not there. So it was a really weird. That's why you know it was definitely a trafficking thing because it was a fight between look at the money and look at the privilege we have that we can give to your um, kid versus look where you live and look where you know. So right. it was confusing as a child. Yeah. I never fit in and I knew it from the beginning because at the core, I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So so you were there in DR at 10. That's when you said you discovered you were black. Yeah. Yeah. A little late in life. <laughs> <laughs> but so how long did you stay in the Dominican Republic before you guys moved back to the U.S. or for you moved to the U.S.? Well, here's the thing. I am one of those without citizenship. Oh, really? So one of the things about adoption in my particular life was that they never wanted to get me citizens. They knew what needed to happen, and they wanted one aspect of adoption, but they didn't want the full aspect of adoption. So Uh. I was basically confined to that country. Um, uh, After I had graduated college, I I went back to the country, and I worked as a a, um, middle school teacher. And so I really didn't have the ability to just get up and go to the States or, you know, I was, I was an immigrant, basically a non-immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a visitor. I had a vis- so go back. You were on, you were, you said you had a visitor's visa your whole life? Yeah. To the so U.S. They, they settled. Yeah. They settled with a visitor's visa. That was good enough for them. Um, and they didn't think that, you know, the future would pull me to different directions. It was very limiting. A visitor's visa is very limiting. Right. Um, 
And just the fact that I have two, I had two white American parents didn't make any sense. So when we would go on trips, I was the one standing in the super long line, uh-huh. the two and a half hour line in immigration because I was a visitor when the rest of my family members just went through as, you know, <laughs> American citizens. This, I, you know, a lot, I really went through a lot of emotional disconnect because there appeared to be no desire to make me fully part of uh, the family. So, so you I said that worked the, with Emily Kessel. <laughs> they had uh, adopted a, a bunch of kids though, right? Yeah. How many, how many siblings do you have? So I am the oldest of seven. Two of them are biological. And then there are twins who weren't like legally adopted. <laughs> um, they were just fostered because in the Dominican Republic, they were fostered from the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic has very strict adoption rules, so they couldn't actually adopt them. But they paid someone to give them their children. Um, and then, the, yeah, you close your eyes because you're like, wow, that's crazy. Um, and then I, <laughs> then there was another adopted, uh, and I say adopted, and what I just mean is part of the family. Right, yeah. I'm legally adopted and then there's another child who is physically handicapped mm-hmm. um disabled completely can't can't hear can't see can't speak can't talk oh, wow. um and he's legally adopted but again illegally done um so there's two adoptions two birth and then two um and then two and then twins so right. who am i missing oh and then a random kid that kind of became part of the family so, but not adopted. Yeah, not adopted, but legal, legal, legal guardian. Okay. Yeah. So when you when they went back and forth from the states and everything, did they take everybody with them, or was it just you? Uh, they took everybody, but they never lived in the states. They abandoned the United States um, when they moved to Haiti. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when They're they would like go so back to the states, they would just go through, and would they? They'd just be visiting, basically, and you were on a visitor visa. Was everybody on a visitor's visa? So it's like you and your siblings in a completely separate line together? Basically, yeah, except for the bio kids. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) and it was always a really weird feeling, you know? It's like, this is your family, but not. You know, you're already odd, like, odd-looking. You don't quite look like everybody else. I used to always make the joke that I adopted them, you know, because they don't look like me. Um you got to make light of something, you know, I learned to do that really early. Um, but yeah, it was just always strange going through immigration and I always got stopped. I always had to go into the right. little room um, because they're like, wait, so what's going on here? They're your parents. They're American. You have Haitian passport. How does that work? I'm like, look, if you I have do... this dead person's birth certificate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I never really shared that, but I have passports from that birth certificate. So, but I'm sure I did end up sharing that when I got my green card though. And it was poetic justice really that I got my green card because my parents didn't even want me to get my green card. Wow. They wouldn't, they wouldn't sign the paperwork. So why didn't they want them. you to become a legal U.S. citizen? They just did, they were like, they, did they know how like shady the background behind it was? So they didn't think they could pass muster to get you to be, you know, that's a very good question because I'm thinking more and more as I think through this really ridiculous life that I've mm-hmm. lived, I really think it has to do with that. 
I really do. But my my adoptive father's response was, I wasn't a priority. That's he used those words. Like I'm you, like, Maylene, were not a priority. Basically, and the yes. other kids, aside from their biological children, were not a priority either. Correct. And he always lumps me in with the other kids, and I'm like, there's a difference between me. I'm not better than them, but I have a you adopted me, which means you changed my name. The other kids, right. you didn't change their name. You didn't change. Oh, really? Their yeah, because they were legal guardian. You mm -hmm. can't. You can't um, get. You can't just change that. their <laughs> right. Yeah, you can't just do that. I mean, they did change their name, but not on legal paper. Whereas for me, everything of mine was changed. Huh. So they never considered me to be, and I had to explain it to him. He's sixty-six or something. I said adoption is not foster. There's right. a whole different uh, component, and the fact that you chose not to go the right route is really sad. You know. Well, it's not just sad. I mean, it's it's. I, you know, I hate to say it, but it's half-assed. It is. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. It's like, how are you going to claim to uh, love a child and not actually go through the steps to, you know, or make, make the child a priority even? Right. Well, what benefit was it to them, I think? I think that's what, what benefit was it to them to give me full-on uh, family status. Right. When it looked good, me continuing to need them. Right. If I if I had my citizenship, I could up and leave. Whereas because of the visa, and I had to get a visa for college. Listen to that. Mm -hmm. You know. <laughs> and I spent five years in the states in college, but I had to get a visa to go to college. Yeah. So I no longer needed them if I got my citizenship. And I think they wanted all of their kids actually. Um, they wanted us to need them 24-7. Huh. But to me, that's just like, and um, you know, it's not, <clears throat> I don't know if it's my place to judge parents necessarily, but especially somebody who's not a parent. But if you are a parent, isn't your number one priority, first and foremost, always your kids? Yes. So I just don't but understand when like what look other at than... You... <clears throat> When people look at you and and see certain things, you start to get a big head, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, and you yeah. start to forget the important components of what you're doing, and you start to do things, like you said, half-assed, where, you know, um, instead of making sure that that one daughter that's been adopted has everything she needs, you start just bringing in other people because it looks good from the outside when you bring in people. And I think they... Mm they became they uh, became victims of popularity. I mean, my handicapped brother, he only came out of his dungeon, I call it a dungeon. Um, he only came out of his dungeon when there were missionary people. Really? It's pretty bad, yep, yep. So you guys were and more for like show than anything else? More for show, exactly, exactly. Were they, that, you know, were they popular missionaries? There were people like, was there a large community of people surrounding you guys? What, yeah, what was and your we interaction were very with well them? known. My interaction with, with the people or with my <clears throat> Yeah, the family? community. I was always the little girl the white people saved. Hmm. And it, it was weird because, like I said, I discovered I was morena, black. Right. Of course, I knew I was different. I knew my color, but I didn't realize how deeply ingrained the negativity of my color was because I lived in this family that, you know, did the whole colorblind thing. Right. I was ashy. 
They did not put lotion on me. I was ashy all the time. <laughs> and you can't, you can't do that with black kids. You, you gotta get, you know, you gotta get your act together. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So yeah, there are different are needs. Things that I got. Yeah, there are different needs, and those are the things things that I got picked on for that, you know, I had my hair out in a fro once and it's like white people, God bless their heart. They love it when we have our fro, but they have no idea how hard it is to get that way and to keep it maintained and to, you know, to keep it beautiful. And so my adopted mother had the mentality of, oh, go natural. But what she didn't understand was that in that time period for a black girl in the Dominican Republic to go natural equaled I was a little kid for a male uh um a male white guy that comes to that particular area to pick up those were the implications and as I got older I started explaining to them I cannot just wear my hair out like that like people see me and think certain things yeah you know and I had to explain that to them and they never wanted to really understand that that's helping that's hurting my self-esteem when I'm being seen as, you know, an object. Right. And, and this is the same thing with, again, going back to the, you know, we don't see color or we want to treat you the same. And it's like, well, there, there are secondary effects to this, right? That, yes. that you're not seeing because you refuse, you're basically putting the blinders on. Yeah. And so these needs that you have that are peculiar to you are not being addressed because they refuse to take into account the differences just yes on ethnicity yeah you know one day i was walking with my father i wrote this in my book rainbows but not unicorns i was walking i had taken a walk with my father into town we were going to pick up chicken i remember that because that's my favorite meal and it's not just because i'm black um (laughs) (laughs) i would i wouldn't say that i I don't understand where that comes from (laughs) who doesn't love chicken Right? Unless, you're, unless you're vegetarian or vegan. but i was about 11 so i had already discovered my my blackness i was about 11 and you know we walked into town and we were walking to get back into the land cruiser and someone threw an orange at my head no lie like i can look back and laugh at it but i was 11 <laughs> And it wasn't Why? even a, it wasn't even a full on orange, which I'm glad because that would have knocked me out. It was like half an orange, peeled. Because here's the thing, in the country that I was being raised in, mm-hmm. white men holding little black kids' hands is not something that is a good thing. So they were meaning to throw it at him. I was gonna say, why? Why Are you would they my dress? throw it at you? <laughs> Well, they were meaning to throw. So they meant they meant to throw it at him. Not me. And it popped you in the head. Right. I see. I see. So and they and they never talked about it. Like that conversation never came up. And because it hit me, I thought it was my fault. Right. So I stopped wanting to go to town with my father. And every time we would drive through, I ducked my head. So I really Mm. I grew up with this fear of. And and the people who were doing this were people who reflected me. They were my mirror. Yeah, right. Except, but they weren't the right kind of mirror. Mm. They were not Haitian black. They were Dominican, Dominican and black. lighter. Yeah. And the lighter skin, you know, is what's worshipped. Mm-hmm. Well, what was your father's so reaction to that event yeah. at the time? I tell you, he didn't. 
it was like it didn't bother him. So there are certain things that he was able to just ignore because of privilege. Whereas for me, there are things I could not ignore because I didn't have the same kind of privilege. But again, it's like, this is the thing with being a parent. If somebody threw an orange, a half-eaten orange at my kid's head, I'd even if it was meant for me, it'd be like, yeah. what the hell? Exactly. But they were not the type of people who, because I think they did the, it must not have been on purpose, like dismissing the feelings of the adoptee. Hmm. Oh, they right. didn't mean that. Or they weren't saying that. Or, you know, basically speaking for us. Yeah. I think it made him feel better to ignore it and not talk about it. Because so it wasn't I think like a good Christian, thought, like turn the other cheek thing. It was just ignore the problem. It was ignore the problem, which is another good Christian thing that a lot of Christians do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, I think those little things kind of stick. They stick in your head because well, of course it's like, they do. wow, you know, was I that? And I, I blamed myself. I was like, wow, was I that mm -hmm. ugly? Like, seriously, you know? And because at the time you didn't understand. That. Right. At the time I didn't understand. At the time I knew, though, that it was not, you don't do that. Right. You, you know, because that area that we lived in was a prostitute area, mm -hmm. you know? And so you just don't do that. Was that where the and good so missionary work was? He, that's where the good missionary work was. <laughs> Praising the Lord, saying Jesus' name many times. Trying to um, save sinners. Exactly. Um, but they weren't the proselytizing type. So So what kind of missionaries were you said they built villages and stuff like that? Yeah, they were the type who were like silent. They they were kind of a cult. I'll admit, I grew up in a cult. <laughs> so what kind of cult? Um, like what kind of well, what kind of Christianity? What what flavor was it? <laughs> what kind of flavor Christianity? <laughs> <laughs> I would say the cult leader was my adopted mother. And oh really? The type, yeah, and the type of Christianity that we grew up in was the type where whenever she felt like worshiping something else, we all had to stop what we were doing and worship whatever she was worshiping. Like what? So. When missionaries came up, and if the missionaries were Christian, we started, we threw out all the worship songs, the contemporary um, Stephen Curtis Chapman worship songs, uh -huh. and we worshiped that. But when we had Muslims come up, she went and found something, <laughs> and then we became part of that. So it was all kind of huh. a ploy to get um, funding for the ministry that they were doing. So growing up, we grew up kind of just confused as to, like, they like to call it, we were ecumenical that's the word that they like to use and i'm just like no we were just a cult that's not there's no ecumenical happening there because there was no consistency yeah and so all of us kids including the bio kids we just grew up like being very unsure of who we were as people right. because we didn't know like i'm not a christian now but and you know i have a daughter but we don't really raise her as any kind of religion mm -hmm. we just we believe in praying so we do that um before meals but there's that like that's it that's where the buck stops um because i don't not, want you don't go to, to like any organized formal no church. we just and and we tried to find a couple different places because mm -hmm. i do believe in youth group mm -hmm. but i want to make sure that whatever youth group she ends up going to is not the type of youth group that shuns the lifestyle that i live i have a wife and so i don't mm -hmm. I, I want to make sure that she's getting the positive components of that and not being told that, you know, she can decide that as she gets older, but I'm not going to cram sure. that down her throat, you know? 
So I feel like I grew up in a very open, because, you know, you can be too open and actually cause more problems mm -hmm. because you're not grounded. Well, yeah, if there's like a lack structure. of structure. Yeah, there was no structure. Man, I would get grounded for stuff that I was like, I didn't even know that that kind of grounding existed. Like, <laughs> seriously, I'd be like, whoa, okay. I fixed my nose. Now I got to go to my room. What? I can't even pick my nose. Like, how does that work? But, but, but I, I I'd be grounded all the time. Up with some weird stuff. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but she, she came up with really, I was listening to your last um, podcast, which talked a little bit about like, the parenting styles. I'm like, right. damn, I wish that book was around for my parents. Um, well, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really sound like they would have even read it. They wouldn't have read it. <laughs> they would not have read it. Yeah. So, so I feel bad for them, actually. You know? Yeah. Because well, it's... It's like, how do you live with yourself? Well, I, it sounds to me like it's relatively easy because it's... Uh, I don't know if they're... You know, maybe they thought they did. they were doing the right thing. They were doing a good job. Yeah. But it sounds like deep down, if they weren't going to get you, uh, you know, citizenship or make you a priority, that at some point they knew like there was something shady. But I don't know if they ever reconciled that in a moral sense with with the actions that took place before uh, or under the circumstances that you were adopted. Yeah. And then what happened after you were adopted? Yeah, I think they like to pretend that they don't know. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, it's ignorance, right? Yeah, my father will. You know, when I confront him about stuff, he doesn't deny it, you know, but my mother, I remember now, she never was involved in any, anything paperwork wise, anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think she was afraid. She didn't want her hand in it, but it sucked because then it was all put on to my father. Like everything was his fault. You know, wow. she was a very yeah. domineering um woman even you know when we would get in trouble she'd be like wait till your father gets home oh my god like <laughs> i'm like okay. so he, he was the bad cop because she refused to be the bad cop and yet she was the worst yeah he he enabled her mm -hmm. basically you know so i'm gonna pivot a little bit and... i had a great childhood <laughs> Well, what was your relationship with uh, your your siblings, especially the the bio kids? I, I kind of want to ask about. That's a great question. Um, it started off okay, except like I remember being like four, and my sister wanted me to take off her the clothes that I was wearing because it was hers. So you know that hurt a bit. <laughs> but I think that's a kid thing. Like she literally yeah. went and like would pick at the clothes, and I think it was we were both really little trying to figure things out. Um, so that particular sister, unfortunately, I'm no contact with her because after I went no contact with my adoptive mother, um, they became the flying monkeys. Um, and, mm. and I was the person who was ungrateful. And so how dare I speak of their birth family that way? Right. So I'm no contact really with anyone except for one of my brothers who's not really a brother, but is a brother. Um was so he I one of the, I, the foster brothers? Yeah, he's one of the he's one of the sixty thousand um, foster brothers. Oh, and we had kids coming in and out of that house, man. Mm -hmm. It was like a molehill with ants going in and out. Like there were so many, but it, they got paid to watch kids. I found this out about three months ago. Yeah, they got paid, but it wasn't like here in the states where you get paid to um, foster. Mm -hmm. It was like we're talking ten grand. What per kid? 
Is are they still down there in like uh, the Dominican Republic? Well, my mother moved with her boyfriend to another country. Oh, so your parents father... got divorced? Nope. And oh. here's the fun part. Okay. Uh... <laughs> my... <laughs> <laughs> and my father is still in the in the in the country, um, supporting my mother and her boyfriend. It's a really odd situation. Why? Because he's a doormat. God bless his soul. Is it because he? J- is that the? I don't. I don't know. That's <laughs> how just, I. Is he I just know. like a nice guy? You know what is, what is? He's one of those people who you can't really figure out what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say he's a nice guy. I mean, I don't know. I don't know trafficking. I don't know. That's really nice. But I would say his heart. He's got a good heart, and right. people like him. They. Almost everyone in the town, they don't like his wife, but mm-hmm. they love him. And I think he's gotten to the point where something really strange happened when we were all little. And that explains the boyfriend who lived with us for like 15 years. Um, so we had like, I had like two Santa Claus dads. They have beards. Um, it was really weird. And one mom. So something strange happened. And I think from the last time I spoke to him, he didn't have a choice. He wanted to stay with his kids, but the mm-hmm. only way for him to stay with his kids was to be also with this dude. At, huh. Oh, it's confusing. So you don't uh, talk to your mom anymore. Do you still talk to your dad? No, I, I had to cut ties. After he refused to like sign my green card stuff, mm-hmm. um, I had to cut ties. Eventually he did sign it, but it was like we, we basically had to threaten him. Wow. So, I had to cut ties. I just couldn't keep carrying that kind of weight, you know? Yeah, of course. So we're going to go back a little bit before the green card. We're going to get back to that. But so you ended up going to college in the States? Yes. Yes. So you applied from DR on a student travel temporary visa (laughs) to come (laughs) to the States to study. No, I received an actual student visa. So a five-year student visa. So, you know, my other visa was no, uh, but now I have a five-year visa. So now I, I could feel a little bit more. But get this, my parents didn't think I was smart enough to go to college. So what my mother did was she actually forged all my paperwork to get into college. I hope my college isn't listening to this, <laughs> but because it's narcissism, right? Um, That's and, so bizarre. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Like, so your mom didn't think you can get into college, but she right. did all your paperwork. But it would look really bad for them to have adopted kids and not given them that opportunity while the bio kids were getting that opportunity. Okay. So again, there's there's a reason to that for this. So she wrote writes my essay. Uh-huh. I, I didn't know I was going to college until a week before I got on the plane. And this included going to the capital to get my student visa. And she applied to the college. I hadn't seen the brochure. I didn't know anything. Uh-huh. She wrote my essay. A week later, I'm, I, I'm on the plane. I get to college. And the advisor dude is like, wow, that was a really powerful and sad essay. And, and, like, and I literally gave yeah, the face up. totally. No, but I didn't even know that. <laughs> I didn't know she did the essay till I got there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I get into college and I transfer the the minute I have an opportunity to transfer. 
Okay. Because I was like, I want to pick my college. So which college? Which go. college originally were you set up to go to? I went for um, the first semester to Nyack in New York. Oh right, yeah. You mentioned you mentioned yeah. uh, Nyack because I live near there. Yeah. Which is a lovely um, little town, by the way. I I liked being there. I just didn't like that I didn't get a, a, yeah, a, a yeah. say in in how you know. It's understandable. Um, Why did she pick that one? Do you know? Because she she loves black people. She, she <laughs> that was her answer. She's like diverse, but not diverse. Like, does that make sense? Like, she wanted me around diversity, but she didn't want to understand diversity. So she wanted uh, me to go to Nyack because it's very diverse. Okay. Um, and very Christian. I you know now that I think about it, that was a really Christian college. So okay. they said they wouldn't. <laughs> Uh -huh. I, this is why I write comedy. I write so. comedy in my books because you can't make this stuff up. You just can't. So after uh, I was getting a D in a class in psychology, and she wanted me to, to be a psychologist, right? So your your mom wanted you to that, be a psychologist. Yeah, she said I'd be a great psychologist um, because I always analyze situations and uh -huh. made her feel very uncomfortable. Um, and so she <laughs> said I'd be a great psychologist. <laughs> So I, I got a D and she goes, you're never going to be a good psychologist. I'm going to pull you out of college. And I was like, oh, shit. So, <laughs> you know, because of a D, while my sister was failing all her subjects and she was just pumped up. Whereas for me, and she, my sister told me this, oh yeah, I was failing. I was drinking a lot. You know, I've been super depressed. And so mom said I could get out of college and take a break. Whereas for me, she's just like, I'm going to pull you out of college. Um, so I get that grade up to a C and I decide I don't want to be a stupid psychologist. I can't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. So I end up transferring uh -huh. um, with my girlfriend to um, Cornerstone in Michigan. So I Way different school <laughs> and yes. location. And still very Christian because they wouldn't pay for my college unless it was to a Christian college interesting and it, and it wasn't them paying it was my grandfather i found that out later but of course they wanted to look like right uh, right they were doing it's that. a threat i also found out he paid them like 30 grand to adopt me and i'm like damn you grandpa um <laughs> double-edged sword um so graduated from cornerstone um my entire four years though there my mother was so evil like she would always compare the college she signed me up for and the college I ended up going to because one was like almost all white and then the other was like almost all black, but both were like super Christian. Mm. And I was like, what do you expect? I grew up like in a white family. Like, you know, I was more comfortable around the second college and I chose it. Yeah. And well, at least you had the choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. As long as it was a Christian college. <laughs> as long as it was a Christian school and, you, and they were paying for it. Exactly, exactly. Because the thing is, without citizenship, and I'm sure you've heard this, I didn't have many options. Like, yeah, I was, like what like, choices landlocked. do you have, you know, right? What I had, I, my other option was to go back to the Dominican Republic and be, you know, berated by the culture and everything. So I was like, I mm. need these five years to myself you know, get my degree, kind of get a sense. And all the while I was writing my first book, which is actually what caused us to cut ties. Mm. So amen to books. So <laughs> well, what was the first, what was so bad about the first book? Well, the first book was actually 
about my relationship with my oldest daughter, who's 21. Mm -hmm. But it was a memoir. And in a memoir, you know, you got stuff that is not totally awesome and peachy. Well, sure and they not. didn't like yeah. it. They didn't like it. And I didn't put names, but obviously they knew who they were. I didn't put names or anything, but I think they were so worried that my book would affect their ministry. Mm. And it did. Oh, really? Because people were seeing what... People started to see the cracks. The but here's the thing. And I told them once, I said, my book didn't wreck our family. You did. Mm -hmm. Because people already knew. They just chose not to say anything because they weren't sure. And then once they read the book, mm. then they were like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew that guy wasn't your uncle one year. Confirmed and everything. Year, confirmed everything. Yeah, because that stranger dude kept being someone else every year he was someone else and so we couldn't get keep it straight and finally the book confirmed um who the stranger was so well, who is the stranger or do people have to read the book <laughs> <laughs> the stranger is the my mother's boyfriend the boyfriend but it's a boyfriend i knew it before it was always yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those mystery novels, right? It's going to happen in the next chapter. So I did graduate and no one came to my graduation because they um, they didn't believe in going to people's graduations. Okay. They were very anti-American stuff. They didn't like want to go to your graduation because they didn't believe in going to graduations? Yeah. For college? Yeah, because they didn't go to their bio kids either. Oh, okay. So this wasn't well. At least you know it wasn't. Yeah, I was picking glad it wasn't like a, a, a. Yeah, I was glad that it, that was. I'm like, for once, good. We all get treated like crap. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> so yeah, because my sister, I remember her being upset that they didn't go. I'm like, really? You know, they didn't go to mine. And she's like, and she's like, yeah, you're right. They didn't go to yours. Um, <laughs> but what I was waiting for her to say was, yeah, but you know, they don't like you. <laughs> like, well, I know that. Um, it's terrible. So, oh my family. So was the yet, was the first book like family. a like a comedic kind of book as well, or was it? No, it was just a memoir, straight memoir. Straight up memoir, like that. the The first book was actually a book I started writing at about eight years old. So it was like oh, the really? first book was my journal mm -hmm. from eight to about twenty six or something. Okay. Yeah. So. And then, so you have another book that's coming out now, right? That you just finished yes. writing. Yes. And what is this um, one about? Um, this book is basically um, a comedic piece. And it's just looking at adoption. And it's many faces, basically. So, like, the chapters I have, my chapter one start with the white card. So it just talks about how adoptees, you know, have a white card for a certain period of time and then it expires when they leave the house um <laughs> we, we, you know it's such a short time period but our parents don't get it and that's what i talk about how they don't get mm. that that card expires and we can't just use it you know like visa accepted almost anywhere white card the minute you step out it expires um one of my chapters is pretending and that's about the masks that we wear as adoptees mm -hmm. um and then there's a chapter on humor, which ironically, the whole book is supposed to be humorous, but just how adoptees have so much humor. And I talk about like every adoptee I've met has had some form of humor because they've had to create that for themselves to not yeah. be completely depressed. 
even the ones who have had really great adoptive parents still struggle with stuff. You know what yeah, I mean? Of course. And to see them talk about it in a humor um, perspective is, is, is great. And then I have a chapter on perspective and how we're able to see and understand people to a level that, that others don't, those who are not adopted don't quite see it. Mm. I have a chapter on appreciation, which this is my favorite chapter because we're told all our lives that we have to appreciate. And what we just want is for people to stop telling us to appreciate because we already do. And yeah. so it's a very powerful chapter because it's like, we appreciate you guys, but not because you did it in spite of whatever, mm -hmm. you know? We, we find a way to move on. Um, I also have a chapter called The Wow Factor. The Wow and Factor. Yeah, The Wow Factor is what you and I have. It's like when you go to Korea and they see you as Korean, but then you open your mouth and you don't sound Korean. <laughs> right? So it's, it's The Wow Factor. If we keep our mouth shut, they'll think we blend right in. But the minute we mm -hmm. say a word, they're like, whoa, where have you come from? You know, and, 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 and we just, we continue to wow them because of the intersectionalities too. Mm -hmm. So I'm black adopted also a lesbian like also a woman like do you see them? there's so many mm -hmm. layers to um adoptees i talk about celebrations and how oftentimes celebrations are very difficult for adoptees and why not to celebrate um gotcha day um <laughs> um profanity how we're really good at cussing um even the good <laughs> christian ones we're really good like i don't know well i thought that was just because i grew up in jersey <laughs> No, all of us. We're so good. Even the really conservative adoptees, I've had interviews with them because of my work. Um, they can cuss up a storm. Well, yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> dang, good job. And I think it's because we're so used to being told we can't, we can't, we can't when we're growing up. Mm -hmm. Because it'll represent the family a certain way that we learn to come up with different combinations of cuss words. And I have a couple of them in the book that are quite interesting. Um, <laughs> um, and then the last two chapters is competition and how, I, at least in my family, it was always about competition. Who could do this better? Who could pray longer? Who could uh, summon the saints? Weird stuff. Um, and then my final chapter is on empathy, how we surpass the sympathy component. We just, we can feel what almost everybody feels because mm -hmm. we've been there. So I just go down the list of just made it 10. I tried to make it 10 simple chapters. Um, it looks like this here. I don't know if you'll be able to see it. Ah, yes. Yeah. And it's this funny picture. Cause like I'm smiling, but I'm kind of like, what the? Is that a bit moji? <laughs> Yes. It looks like a bitmoji. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Like I it yeah, it's emoji, but I um I designed this cover because it sort of looks like me, I hope. <laughs> it does. Yeah. yeah. Well so, you got the glasses there. Yeah, the glasses. Although the you don't have eyebrows. You in the, in the bitmoji it looks like you have the fro going. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got the fro going. Versus yeah. right now, you do not have the fro going. No, right now I put my extensions in. You know, you have to be careful. <laughs> One of them fell out yesterday. I was like, oh, this will not look good on an interview. So. <laughs> as long as it wasn't <laughs> into like a plate of spaghetti or something like that. And then you're right. like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if I'm making like black spaghetti, I would not have known. 
No, no. Yeah. Well, that's a nice uh, <laughs> Korean Chinese dish, the jajangmyeon, the black yes. noodles. It's very good. Yes. <laughs> but not with Absolutely. extensions in it. <laughs> so no, it, not with extensions, because you'll know the taste. Not so good. No, no. Well, I haven't had it with extensions, but I imagine it's not very good. Uh, <laughs> such a delicate dish to make to begin with. So, <laughs> so the, yeah. the chapters are very interesting to me, I think, because they, they talk a lot about uh, universal kind of themes um, yes. about being adopted. So this is supposed to be a, a, like a funny comedic take on, on those themes, which yes. speaks to your humor chapter, right? Yes. Yes. So the humor chapter is interesting to me because the previous chapter, was it the one immediately preceding it was about the masks that we wear as yeah, adoptees? Yeah, pretending. Yeah. So I feel, uh, and this is going to be totally meta because people know, know that I'm a, I like to be funny and the center of attention. And, <laughs> and I've been accused of wearing uh, the humor as a mask. Really? I think people in general, like uh, comedians get that a lot is that you know the funniest comedians out there are also sometimes the most emotionally distraught comedians yes yes and so I the humor i think is a mask mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're, you're absolutely right i think humor itself um is its own mask and in reality mm -hmm. that's one of the sad things about being an adoptee i think is the fact that uh sometimes even in the appreciation component we're still wearing a mask because we have to fake that we appreciate certain things, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I really try and hit on the not because, but in spite, I try and differentiate the, between the two of those. Mm -hmm. We know that it's not because of it's in spite of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So do you feel like you use the humor as a mask or do you feel like, well, and so that's the it's thing, right, is that I don't feel consciously when I do it that it's as a mask, mm. right? But I think if I if I were to put on my psychology hat <laughs> and analyze myself in a critical way, I would say that sometimes my humor is probably used subconsciously as a mask. But, you know, I often say, and this is you know, a lot of humor has truth in it, or it should always have some truth in it, is that sometimes if I weren't laughing, I'd be crying. Yes. Because it's exactly. one of those things where it's just like, it's, and it, you know, the, the adoptee community, unfortunately, has a very high rate of suicide and depression. And those are the people who I don't think can laugh through that pain. Like they're experiencing yeah. so much pain that they can't do what I do, which is try to like mask it. Because if I at least try to mask it, I can maybe fool myself, I think. Right, right. But there's a lot of people who just can't do that, I think. And so that's when it becomes... I, like I'm kind of happy that I've been able to do that and work through that, but I I was a lot more, I think, distraught earlier in my childhood, yeah. <laughs> and and in in my adolescent years than I am as a fully formed adult now. Right. But those years, I mean, the they're hard for anybody, and then you yeah. pile on adoption on top of that, and it's a whole other issue. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think when I've heard your stuff, I honestly and I and I would be. I'm just an honest person, but I don't see it as you using humor as a mask. I see you using humor as a way to allow others to be okay with laughing. Because I think mm -hmm. we can be too serious sometimes in adoption. That's and definitely so, true. Yeah. And it's like, we, 
we have one life to live. Like, shoot, like, what are you going to do with that life? Yes, adoption happens. You can't go back and change it. You know, some people have great adoption stories. Some people have not so great adoption stories. But we're here right now. And there are things that we have to look at because things could be worse. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of see you using your humor to let people know that, hey, it's okay to laugh at certain things. You don't have to have a super serious interview or, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And and I I try to steer away, you know, there's certain times in these uh, conversations that I have with people that obviously it does need to be serious. And, you know, it is a, when we talk about people's lives that there are definitely serious points in them that aren't to be laughed at. But, you know, there's also a lot of joy in our lives too. And we have to kind of take a look at that yes. as well. Or, you know, some a lot of the comedy that I watch enjoy myself is based in the absurd, like comedy of the absurd. And there's a lot of absurdity in our lives that we just kind of need to take a minute to laugh yes. at. Because again, if we don't, I would probably either be crying or just perplexed. Exactly. You know? Yeah. No, you're right. I was with ARC. I work with the ARC on the, mm-hmm. on the East Coast representative. The Adoptee Rights Campaign. Yeah. Um, so I know Emily Kessel quite well, and I know mm-hmm. you interviewed her at some point. But it, it's funny because we, we were, all of us were in a car, and we were like, oh, my gosh, we better follow the rules here because if we get stopped, none of us have citizenship. <laughs> We're all gonna die. Like, we, <laughs> You're all you know, getting deported. Right, right. And then we would all we we always ended our conversations with, well, you know, we're adopted, right? Well, Jesus was adopted, so and he turned out all right. So, That's, I said know? that to somebody uh, recently. I was like, well, Jesus was adopted. They're like, by who? I was like, by Joseph and Mary, right? Because <laughs> it, it was God's kid, right? Right. Wait, right. did I misread that story? <laughs> did I miss something, man? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that was the case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you think of Moses? Moses? Moses, yeah. But Moses went back to his people. He's like, let my people go. Like, he was, <laughs> he was, it's he true. did not have fun with his new family. And his birth mom. <laughs> That's also true. His birth mom actually nursed him to health. So, it says something about adoption that it's not a natural thing. Adoption is not a natural thing. Right. And but I think, it's a historical anthropological thing. Like there's history behind it. And they never turn out okay. <laughs> I think Moses and Jesus turned out all right. Uh, yeah, I guess parting the Red Sea. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty badass. <laughs> and pretty badass. And the whole, you know, staff and seeing a snake and, and fire, like, I think he was on something, mushrooms or something. Well, you know, I think starvation does that to you, too. You wander, the, you wander the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. You don't why need anything. Do they, why do they leave those important bits out? <laughs> well, they Come don't They now. don't call it starvation, right? Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> it's like to get visions. Shit. Like if you want visions and you like fast for a couple of days and then you smoke peyote, you could probably commune <laughs> with the spirits, I think, or something. I don't know what. I've never done ayahuasca, yeah. but you know, I'm not gonna doubt the visions that people have. <laughs> I don't know if they're real, but they, I'm sure they see something. Oh my gosh! I mean, and, and, and coming to the rescue, like just in time before they pass out. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess they did turn out okay, right? I don't know. I mean, like I was saying uh, at that, so I did that AKA forum last month uh, for our New York organization here about adoption in the media. 
And the one thing I brought up was uh, in comic books and a lot of comic book movies now, you know, many of the main characters are not raised by their biological parents. Right. Mm -hmm. The majority of them are raised by somebody other than their birth parents. Mm -hmm. Superman included. Yeah. Well, all the cool people. All the cool ones. Definitely. You know, it's interesting because I think there's a twist to that. The, the, The ones who raise these creatures that don't belong, whatever... Usually it's a community thing, though, if you think about it. It's not a, I'm going to take you out of your country and raise you in a completely different country, right? So it's like, like I see, like I fostered my, my now 21-year-old, mm-hmm. but the way we did it was in, in a community, right? So I had certain things to offer that her birth parents could not offer. Mm-hmm. And so she was with me five days of the week. She was with them two days of the week. Don't ask me how that turned out. Um, but... <laughs> It wasn't the best, it wasn't the best choice. So with my adopted daughter that I have, um, who's 14, we've made some changes. But, you know, it's like a community, in the country we live in, you raise each other's kids. That's just what you do. You offer what you can. It's not about, we're going to be rich and we're going to, you know, it's not about that. So Mm. I, I, when I was raising my kids, we tried to do it in a more community type of thing. And my daughter now, I'm raising my friend's child here in the states because what the states has to offer is better than what the dominican republic has to offer at this time right do you see what i'm saying so it's but it's a different um mentality so even in these shows that you talk about i think it is more of a community based isn't it like the community rallies around them or is it like so far i'd like to think so but i'm sure every case is different but you know it's like you know it it takes a village right is is supposed to be the same and uh, you know, I don't know how that saying goes these days with the internet, but <laughs> back before the internet, I think it, it definitely took a village. And uh, yeah. I was definitely as a kid very close with the neighborhood, and so there were always play dates and stuff like that, even impromptu ones over at other people's houses. I don't know what the kids do today, but I'm sh- I, you. You should tell they me because I have no sit. idea. They sit beside each other and they text each other. That's yeah, what they do. That sounds about right. Well, it's not any different than passing each other each notes other. <laughs> when you were a kid, right? Except, Just you know, digital. now all the texts are like in like emoji slash heart slash yeah. stuff. And like the writing notes took time, man. It took time to do that before the teacher turned around. Come on now. It's like hieroglyphics. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally, totally hieroglyphics. Like totally. Yeah. So before I let you go. Uh, so you had mentioned you adopted, uh, sounds yes. like two kids, right? Yeah, um, one foster, one foster, one, one adopted. Yes. Okay. And yeah. And <clears throat> I'm actually not, I I'm pro, I'm pro education mm-hmm. in adoption. I'm not for or against adoption. I'm, I probably lean more towards against because right. Um, if they were to fix a couple things then then you know reform adoption itself i think i could see it a little bit more positively mm-hmm. but i'm really pro educating how do i educate the, the adoptive parents on how to raise in this particular case a black female when both parents are white mm. so i really work on the race component in what i do with my business i work on the race component i work on uh what to do when you're starting to connect with the birth family, I work on um, behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I get 
tons of inquiries daily on how do I deal with this particular issue or that particular issue. Mm. And my daughter's adoption, um, we actually didn't, st- she's been with me since she was four. And I had no plan of adopting. I actually never wanted to adopt. I Fostering was fine with me because mm-hmm. um, I didn't want to change anything. You know, I just, it was okay. It was good. Um, but I wanted to move to the United States and my wife had gotten a job here in the United States and the U.S. actually said the only way for your daughter to be able to come to the States is if she has legal documents stating that you're the parent. So I had to go back to the mom. you had to adopt her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I guess essentially if you look back and, you know, it's her story, so she'll be able to determine how it it happened or whether it was right or wrong. That's up to her. But I could have stayed. But at the time, the schooling was not where I wanted it to be. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think a parent makes a decision based on the particular situation and circumstances. But we spent three extra years there waiting for everything to happen. Well, you did the proper parenting thing and prioritized your daughter's yeah. needs. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now we're working on the citizenship aspect. So my mm-hmm. wife has also adopted her and, you know, just a step-parent adoption. So I feel like that's a little different. And we're making sure that she gets the green card and the citizenship. So she should be able to fall under the CCA. I'm hoping. We shall see. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, prioritizing. It, it has to be about her. I cannot. And that's the thing about not me not getting citizenship. I was not able to pass it down to her. Like, mm-hmm, it would have been right. automatic, right? Yeah. But it's just, and that's the thing that I look back and I think, man, you like, you didn't just screw me, but like you screwed your granddaughter. Like, you know? It, yeah. There's, it's not and a that's, an, again, one of those secondary or, or third order effects that they don't think about. Right. Yeah. Because it's all in the moment, you know? And I think the thing that adoption does, especially here in the States, I'm not sure if you know about it, but like if your birth family ever wanted to move to the States, you would never be able to claim them. Hmm. So it actually forever cuts off any legal ties. So my sister just had twins and and I met my, I met my entire birth family here, except for my mom who had passed away and they're six minutes away from me. Talk about Providence. It's pretty awesome. Um, But we're trying to figure out a way for her to be able to stay with her babies. She Mm -hmm. ended up having the babies here in the States. And one of the things my aunt said was, Oh, how about you do it? I said, no, legally. I'm not, I don't belong to you guys. Right. And I've checked with like nine different lawyers and it, and they say that if you were adopted and you received X, Y, Z from your adoption, you are no longer for all intents and purposes for, you know, by law, you cannot help anyone emigrate yeah. to the United States or help from them with anything family. else from your birth family. And it's, yeah. and that's, that's horrible. Like it, like you cut off everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's deep. It it cuts pretty deep because it's not just one generation. It's mm-hmm. five and six generations. But I I what was your question? <laughs> I don't know if I had one for that. <laughs> I um <clears throat> I, I guess I was just telling you a little bit about what I do. Um yeah. Numa, Numa Consulting. Um uh, understanding the complexities of adoption. That's my business page on Facebook. And um, how do you spell Numa? N O M A. Okay. And Numa is actually Greek for breath. Oh. It comes from like pneumonia. <laughs> so, like you're, you know, the the lack of breathing. 
Right. But pneuma comes from breath. So it's like I encourage adoptive parents. The, I always start off with take a deep breath. Yeah, that's always a good first step. Always start because, you know, they, they get on the phone and they're like, oh, my God, another guy. She's trying to and she's slitting her toe. I'm like, well, the toe is going to be fine. Um, <laughs> she's just, They go off into this hole and I'm like, OK, take a deep breath. Number one, because I can't type that fast. And <laughs> <laughs> number two, because I type everything that they 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 have. Plus, I record it. And number two, you're not going to win this battle. Those are the two things I tell them. Because it's not your battle to fight. Now, you can choose to walk with your adopted child or you can choose to try and pave the way and try and and fix things. We don't need fixing. We're not broken. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's hard for adoptive parents to understand that that uh, we didn't need to be saved to some degree. It's not about I'm going to go and get this kid and save them. It's about, I want this child to be part of my life because mm -hmm. I've gone through the right steps and I understand that they were there was relinquishment and, you know, going through the right stuff, which is not what's happening right now. I have parents who call me and say, oh, the orphanage where I adopted my child just closed down for trafficking, which You're means like, yeah. probably their kid your, was trafficked. Your child was probably trafficked. And they want to, they ask me how to tell their kid. I'm like, look, I'm not a therapist, <laughs> not a psychologist, although my mother wanted me to be, um, not a counselor, but I can give you some thoughts on what, what I would do or what I would say, but it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've had, I have really good reviews, um, because I think the issues that come to to the surface are things that they've been thinking about but haven't wanted to jump on and so they just need like a second or a third um ear uh to basically talk about it and i i meet everybody where they're at i'm if anything if i'm going to work with a potential parent i will say do the biblical thing which is orphan and widow together don't do the just take the orphan because they're cute because I promise you, they'll stop being cute at some point. Mm. You know, and that's what parents want. They just want the baby. Right. But then they break up the family. When, mm -hmm. If they can keep the family together, that's what I'm for. Yeah. yeah. You know, if there is 100% no, the family cannot stay together. Or the mother is like, yes, please raise my child. I can't afford this right now, but keep in contact, blah, blah, blah. Two different things. Mm -hmm. It's the picking out of a catalog and choosing a kid that i am not for yeah well and uh i don't know if i want to close on this but <laughs> <laughs> speaking of speaking of humor and satire uh i don't know if you saw this uh it was an app on that was trying to be kickstarted or indiegogo yes. adoptly where no. it was like a tinder style swipe left or swipe right on a baby oh, photo God. to adopt for yes. potential parents and so, you know, that's a, a horribly disgusting idea, yes. right? Just because you're like, I'm going to Tinder a baby. But, <laughs> but that sounds like abuse on so many levels. It's like, I know, you know? <laughs> there's, there's so many things wrong with it. And that, and so, but later I found out, I don't know if you saw this, that was actually supposed to be a satirical, like a, like a, like a joke. It was supposed yeah. to be a hoax, like a funny hoax. Yeah. And that they put up on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, whatever, and it got pulled from those campaigns. Yeah. But it was like, 
Why would you? It's tell horrifying <laughs> that somebody would even think of this. But when I see it in a satirical light, a it kind of makes me laugh. That's really funny. Yeah. But B, they're actually do, pointing out like because they're like, well, we're not doing anything different than what already takes place yes. with these catalogs, and I was like, that's actually true. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And like, it's funny because I looked at that and I ended up writing like a three page letter to them as Did to you, why their, the, why their idea was. I was one of those people who like wrote the three wrote page up. letters yeah, yeah. of why they are just insane. Um, so that's interesting <laughs> that you say that they put <laughs> that they put that up to really show the world that look what you guys are doing anyway. Yeah. So this is uh, a problem. Yeah. So I was like, that is an interesting because use of satire and humor to point out the, again, the yeah, absurdity yeah. of the whole thing. And so I don't yeah. know if they accomplished that goal necessarily, unless you saw or saw or heard that, but it's true. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. That's, it is a practice that does go on and is a Tinder like app any less awful than going through a catalog full of pictures. Yeah. Well, the worst ones I think are the Craigslist things. Oh Yeah. The oh, rehoming and that's really crazy. But isn't adoption fun? Craigslist. <laughs> isn't Craigslist fun? <laughs> yeah, Craigslist. I really liked like the Craigslist killer, you know? What was that? Like the did you ever see that movie? I love horror movies. No, but why. it sounds right up my alley because it plays on some of my deepest fears about Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> that you're gonna be one of the ones that like go and clean a house and like you end up in a dungeon locked up with well that's why i don't i don't go on i I bought one thing from craigslist i got an elliptical trainer for forty dollars i met this lady in a public mcdonald's and she brought this huge guy with her just in case i was the craigslist killer because you can't be trusted tell me me you filmed that whole ordeal because that's hilarious that's hilarious I would have been like, I've told all my loved ones where I'm going to my last known location. So if I go missing, they will be calling the police. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, now we can track your phone. Exactly. And and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if I'm going to be killed by the Craigslist killer. <laughs> oh, don't we love the Craigslist killer? That was a really good movie, though. Let me, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to just say this. Why is it that all the people who end up getting like killed in these movies... Are white blinds? Why? Because because we're scared. We will not us black people. You will look, look. I'm not gonna wade into this discussion. Yelling, <laughs> but we're the ones who in the movies were like, look behind you, look behind. Didn't I see you behind you? Look behind you. We're the ones yelling at the screen, going, look, he's around the corner. Look behind the door, and we're doing this while the movie's playing. <laughs> We can't keep our mouth shut. <laughs> oh God, I'm not. I'm not gonna touch that one with don't, a ten don't foot touch pole. That, that sounds like I'm wading funny. into t- dark territory. <laughs> oh no. Oh, that was not a pun. That was not a pun. <laughs> this is how YouTubers and long. podcasters get in trouble for things, commenting oh, on yeah. things like this. And I, I don't want to prematurely okay. get kicked I, off I, the I air. I didn't catch it because I was raised by a white family, there you so go. I didn't catch some of it. It's all good. I don't see color. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So <laughs> where can people find you online and, and your work um, and the new book? Okay. So people can find me either through Facebook, mm-hmm. um, Numa Consulting, Understanding the Complexities of Adoption, 
and I'm in the process of changing the name, and I haven't figured out what the name change will be. But I'll let you know. Okay. Um, I also have a Facebook group that's called Adoption, Race, and Their Complexities, and that's where I kind of just offer free information, and we have discussions, so it's pretty cool. Um, we really get into it. Right now, we're studying the book Black Like Me. I don't know if you've heard of that book. I have heard of that book. Yeah, so we're going chapter by chapter, um, and then I put up really thought-provoking questions, and people participate in that. Cool. Um, and I have a Twitter account, but I don't really know the, the handle. So <laughs> I think it's like Numa Consult at Numa. Do you say the at when you're like, yeah, I, I do. You do. Well, you're, you're, an, you're a unique one. Yeah, um, that's true. So I, <laughs> so I think it's at Numa Consult. Okay. Yeah. So you can find me there. I tweet some stuff. That Twitter account is actually attached to my blogs. So if you... I must be really good at the technology because I you have everything all linked together. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. So if like I, if you're on my Twitter and I tweet something and I tweet something from my blog, it'll go, no, wait. And I write something on my blog, it'll go up on my Twitter. Oh, very I nice. Think that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Where's your blog um, located? My blog is um, so life goes on.com. So life goes on.com. And it does. Yes, and, and it should. Um, I hope I pay my blog rent soon so it doesn't end up being like so life goes on dot com slash WordPress slash blah 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 blah. <laughs> Gotta pay that domain. I, I don't want to lose my domain. Um and the current <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh I know. Um and the current book that I am actually finishing up with editing. I've already written it and I have my proof here. So I was doing like the last minute editing is um uh, is called The Perks of Being an Adoptee. And um, uh, what do you call it when you ruin the end? Oh, spoil alert, a <laughs> lot of sarcasm. <laughs> so lots of sarcasm, but I think I wrote this because I think adoptive parents need to read it to better understand their kids in a more satirical manner. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of truth associated in, in this book and it's mostly from my lived experience, but adoptees who read it will be like, yup, mm -hmm, yup, mm -hmm, yup. And they'll go down every chapter and be like, yes, I've been there at least once. So um, they'll be able to relate to it uh, more than my other books because my other books are dark. <laughs> dark in the, in the humor sense. They're dark in the, there's no dark there's like very little humor in the other books but the just cool thing dark. about just dark but the cool thing about my my second to last book and i think i told you a little bit mike um my rainbows and unicorns book mm -hmm. is is uh has a workbook that goes with it oh. so you can be like doubly dark you know <laughs> you can like put i can work <laughs> at the darkness you can work you'll read the super dark chapters and then you'll work out the chapters in the questions that are asked in the workbook and you know bring yourself to more darkness is that where the rainbows and unicorns come out yeah yeah lots okay. of rainbows and unicorns rainbows but not unicorns oh not unicorns not unicorns well there so aren't any one unicorns. or the other <laughs> <laughs> oh damn it really I, oh I believe no that one belongs on the last podcast <laughs> sorry kids just like the tooth fairy there are oh, no yes. unicorns <laughs> well this was a lot of fun i, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, for reaching out and coming on the show and sharing your story i really appreciate it thank you <laughs> all right i'll talk to you later
All right, all right, all right. And that was my conversation with Maylene Carroll. I want to thank Maylene for coming on the show and sharing her story. Again, you can check her consulting work out online. It has a strong online presence at Numa Consulting. Uh, you can uh, check her website out at solifegoeson.com. She has a Facebook page of uh, post-adoption services for adoptive parents with kids of color. And that's at facebook.com slash Numa Consulting. Uh, so you can do all those things. You can do all the things online to check out and enjoy her work. Uh, that's Maylene Carroll. Okay, she's a great person, a great uh, conversation, and an amazing experience. And, and I hope that you guys can take advantage of all those services that she offers. If you would like to come and share your story on my show, The Rambler, uh, you can do so. You can do that. You can come on my show and, and hang out with me and have a nice, lighthearted, amazing conversation to share with the world about your experience. And you can do that by emailing me at TheRamblerADHD at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at TheRamblerADHD and tweet me there. Or you can follow, follow like, I don't know, favorite. What, what I don't know what's happening on Facebook anymore because I'm never on it anymore. I've quit. I've quit Facebook. It feels more or less good. I feel like I'm a little bit out of the loop, but not too out of the loop. Anyways, that's at Facebook.com slash TheRamblerADHD. I don't check that as often, but I post there uh, for for things like this, for for the show. For the show. You can check those things out. And I'll, I'll post there. Uh, I'm also on Periscope. I'm not really sure how that works, but I know it's linked to my Twitter account. So you can check out my Periscoping things when I live stream things. Uh, what else is new? Oh, right. I'm going to be at the Korean American Story Gala. I'm not going to be doing anything cool, okay? I'm not going to be doing anything, like, really cool. I'll just be there attending and supporting the Korean American Story Gala. Uh, and that's going to be on May 3rd. Uh, you can check out more details at koreanamericanstory.org if you want more information, if you are a Korean American. And Martha Crawford, who's an amazing person, and uh, her kids are in the Youth and Teen Mentorship Programs of AKA, is going to be honored there, which is amazing. Uh, so she's an amazing adoptive parent and, uh, and an amazing person, and you should totally come out and support her, if nothing else. And she's awesome. Uh, what else? Oh, oh, Lion is out on iTunes now. Again, I haven't watched it yet. I feel really bad about this. Uh, if anybody from also known as is listening, uh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this, I promise. But I think it's going to be, this is my vision. Are you guys ready for my vision? I'm thinking it's going to be like, we'll rent it, or I'll buy it, and then we'll, like, get a group together, and we're going to, like, watch Lion, and then have an immediate discussion afterwards about it, and I'm going to put it on The Rambler. It's going to be a special edition episode of The Rambler. Maybe we can have an audience there. I don't know. I don't know. Let's go crazy. Let's go crazy. So I don't know who's going to organize that. I guess I, I should help in organizing that since I'm throwing it out there to the world, but... You know, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I would like to have some cool, uh, some cool panelists. Some people have gotten in touch with me so far that they want to participate in this, and so thank you. And we're gonna, we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that. Okay, promise. But you have to agree to do, to do like a live in-person one that's gonna be posted later. We'll figure out the details. We'll figure out the details. In any case, uh, it's a. Uh, oh, I almost forgot. Today, today is a very special episode today of The Rambler because it is my uh, 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 so-called airplane day. Did you guys know that? Yeah, so today, 32 years ago, which is a really long time for, for a lot of my listeners and guests, uh, I, I came to America. Isn't that crazy? It's super crazy. And now I'm uh, Captain America. Uh, and I get, I, I don't know, 
some people don't like to celebrate it. Some people think it's weird. Uh, I grew up with it, I guess. It, you know, it wasn't like a big thing. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's my airplane day. It's the day I came here to JFK from uh, probably Gimpo Airport at the time in Korea. And uh, to celebrate, I am going to be relaxing and hanging out and watching Rogue One in my home theater. And I think that's a solid, that's a solid way to spend the evening. I treat it not like a second birthday. I'm not big into celebrating my birthday big time. So I, I you know, I like to relax, hang out with friends. But tonight it's just going to be me and the dogs and, and Anne and Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I love it. I love the movie. Did you guys watch it? It's a fantastic film. Anyways, uh, I hope you guys have an excellent month. We will talk to you again next month when you can listen in on my conversation with Robbie Regal. I, uh, I went to his place, Robbie Regal, in Harlem, and we were hanging out, and uh, we, we did the interview. We did the conversation. We had it. So you guys can tune in next month for that. It's amazing. You're going to love it. Until then, I hope you guys have a great April. Uh, if you have and suffer from allergies as I do, Go get your medicine, whatever that may be. I don't know if it's Zyrtec or Allegra or Claritin. I do, uh, I do Flonase. And uh, when I can't breathe, I also do the albuterol inhaler. Oh, here's an important PSA. There was an albuterol inhaler uh, recall for albuterol sulfate or whatever it is from GlaxoSmithKline. So if you use a GlaxoSmithKline inhaler for your like seasonal allergies or asthma, you should check out that recall and just make sure that you're not on it. You know what? I don't know what the, the causes are or the symptoms or whatever if you do the inhaler with that, but but check it out. Anyways, I'm, luckily I'm not affected, but you know I just wanted to put that out there for any of you allergy sufferers. You see what we have to deal with? You have to what the rest? You have to deal with a cold or a flu for like 24 hours or a couple of days in the winter time. This is like a whole like set of months that people have to have to deal with this crap allergy because of pollen. So you, the people who don't enjoy it, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I will suffer with you. I will suffer with you through through this crap called spring, and we'll wait it out. We'll wait it out till summer. Uh, the rest of you guys, I hope you, I hope you enjoy your your little nice weather, your little pleasant seventy degree weather with all these stupid flowers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be so negative. I'll talk to you guys next month. Uh, you guys have a great month. You guys have a great month. Oh, oh, I wasn't going to say, we. Ann and I were going to do an April Fool's joke uh, for this episode, but we got lazy. Uh, and, and to say that, I mean, I got lazy and we didn't do it. So expect that in the future. We're not going to say when, but it's going to happen. All right. I'll talk to you guys next month. Bye-bye.